Hey, welcome again to Comics Please. Comics and graphic novels for parents, librarians, educators, and student enthusiasts. And we are winding down toward the end of the summer. I know I'm sad about that as well. But the bright side is this is a time of the year when a lot of great comics for young readers start popping up on the market. And um, and we got four today to talk about that. I'm just super excited about. To be honest, I wanted to make it a competition between Chibi Usagi, Attack of the Hebe Chibis, and Miles Morales Shockwaves, and Mystery of the Meanest Teacher, uh, Johnny Constantine graphic novel in fifth quarter for who who's gonna make it out on top of these final four? Who's gonna um, who's gonna make it past the the fifth the fifth quarter of this competition? But they're all good. They're all charming in their own ways, and so I'm gonna talk about each of them. Um, by the way, I'm Paul, and this is the Comic Syllabus, which is a podcast and. Uh, video channel show where I talk about comics and graphic novels. Comics Please is a specific segment of Comic Syllabus. You can subscribe to this one alone or you can subscribe to the whole Comic Syllabus package where I talk about new comics that come out every week from independent publishers and stuff that's on Marvel Unlimited and DC Infinite and um, uh, and other graphic novels as well that are not necessarily for young readers. Uh, like and subscribe and follow wherever you find this and uh, it'd be great for you to leave a positive review. I'd love the affirmation and encouragement. You can also find me on social media if you want to give me some input or feedback. Well, we're going to talk about these four comics today and I am just, um, you know, uh, I am on cloud nine that the uh, young readers graphic novels, um, the all ages graphic novels, the comics that are in these like bookshelf editions that are there for, you know, scholastic book fairs or to sit in classrooms and libraries, um, potentially for reader uh, teachers to, to offer to students to read are just proliferating. I mean, they're just growing and expanding and every uh, publisher is getting into that market, recognizing off of the success of, you know, really things that have been around forever, but we just like never really kind of acknowledged it. The success of your Raina Telgemeier books or your Dogman books or whatever, that this is where there is a hungry readership. And so I think these four books are um, from creators and featuring characters who have actually been around comics for a while, who are um, maybe redirecting some of their um, their steerage <laughs> toward that that group of young readers that constituency and I for one am uh, super hyped about that so um, let's dig into each of these four books I'm gonna um, give a uh, show a few preview images and give a little rundown of my take on the books and and, and who might find this book appealing what are some of the, their, um, their positive attributes for young readers all right and we begin with the mystery of the meanest teacher which is the one that I was the least excited by based on my background relationship with the character john constantine if you don't know um aka hellblazer was the creation of alan moore and and rick veitch and steve Bissett and john toddleben in swamp thing and became a long-running vertigo series featuring um john constantine who's kind of an anti-hero and you know uh, a trench-coated uh, kind of a tongue-in-cheek tough guy who somehow dealt in the realms of magic um, when I was a kid and vertigo was coming out fresh and new and there was this British wave of writers your Alan Moore's your Peter Milligan's uh, and I was a impressionable young reader that stuff was actually a lot of my introduction to counterculture or punk or or just a, a generally 
subversive attitude toward uh, government institutions, society and culture. And I thought that was so cool at the time. But it, it, there's a way in which 30 years down the line, it's a little bit worn thin. And what I think is so intriguing is that this character and that attitude is now being brought into young readers comics. And I just think that that's actually so reflective of how culture works. You know, rock and roll becomes kid pop in 30 years. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I, I don't think that diminishes the power of it actually. Um, and especially when it's in the hands of someone like Ryan North and Derek Charm. Now, Ryan North, if you don't know, is the writer of dinosaur comics, uh, creator of Squirrel Girl at Marvel, um, also has done a lot of Adventure Time, so has an incredible knack with satire, with a kind of like irrepressible wit that um, <laughs> Ryan North has made me laugh probably more than any comics writer in, uh, in, uh, comic book, in the comic book world. Uh, I'm not going to count the uh, comic strip humorists that have uh, also made me laugh a lot but, but he's just got that this this note of very like wry observational humor mixed in with you know a lot of character work a lot of a lot of character depth and so we have John Constantine as you knew him but he's young he's uh brash he's kind of figuring out his way with his his abilities with magic and he's unsurprisingly kicked out of school sent to the u.s to go to a different school we have encounters with demons we have encounters with the demon and uh maybe most centrally of all a relationship with a new friend that he meets at the school that he sent to in america uh, named anna i'm not going to give away too much about that character but she's pretty awesome they both dabble in magic and so it becomes a way of two young characters kind of discovering their powers which you know kids don't have magical powers but they but they kind of do and that's a lot of what uh being a, a early adolescent is is discovering these magical powers and forces that seem bigger than you and you get all that you get the boarding school that has this hogwarts vibe about it and then you get this mysterious mean teacher who just has it out for john constantine that's the mystery that it's unpacked i think it's less about the originality of the plot and more about how fun it is to walk that journey with this particular character and the history that John Constantine brings. Um, what's interesting to me about that is just thinking about how this is a kind of translation of, again, a um, late, uh, you know, Reagan Thatcher 1980s era uh, uh, subversiveness, punk irreverence that made its way through the British invasion into. Um, U.S. comics and culture and gives us things like, you know, The Watchmen or V for Vendetta. And it, it was very much the appeal to 20-somethings or 30-somethings or 40-somethings of mature comics in that era now entering, filtering into uh, accessible culture for young people uh, through this character and through this tone. And by now, it's not a underground kind of vibe you know it's very normalized um and i think that's generally a good thing um you know the the two kids feel a little bit like outcasts on one hand but you know just overpowered on the other and i think that's something that a lot of kids actually are they are 
not quite fitting in, but they um, they are up to magical things and confronting some he pretty heavy uh, demonic forces. Take that however you will, uh, figuratively, um, in their lives. So uh, you're in good hands with Ryan North. Derek Charms Art is always able to have this playful, effervescent, uh, humorous tone. I loved what he brought to the Archie world when Charm was a, an artist uh, on that, on those books. And, um, and this is just great fun. Mystery of the Meanest Teacher, a Johnny Constantine graphic novel from the DC Kids imprint. Uh, and so we go from DC to Marvel. Um, and if you are a fan of the Miles Morales character because of Into the Spider-Verse, or maybe you read the, the Jason Reynolds novel, or maybe you've been following ever since Ultimate Spider-Man back in the day when Brian Michael Bendis created this character of Miles Morales, um, the child, a mixed race child of Puerto Rican mom and a black dad. Maybe you are new to the character recently. Um, maybe you've been around since he's been around in the early 2010s maybe is that when miles came on the scene uh you just know that this character has really skyrocketed to popularity um and certainly into the spider verse was a large part of that but i think what the various creators and artists who have who have um brought miles morales to life and brought texture to this character have really seized on is a um it's actually kind of late a recognition of what that uh, young person like peter parker would be in contemporary new york right um peter parker of the 1960s in new york in the 2010s and 2020s would be a young black puerto rican uh kid who goes to a uh you know a school that's kind of like this magnet arts academy who um is both super super cool and super super awkward um and um when he comes upon these uh spider powers you know it's not that he is abandoned by his parents or loses necessarily has to lose his uncle ben although there's a whole thing of course about his uncle aaron but <laughs> But his parents are very present in his life. And in fact, um, writer Justin Reynolds, who I've really enjoyed his YA work, is really building upon these aspects of Miles's character where his mom is super present and very, very admirable, where his father is also very present and very, very admirable. And I love the scenes in this book that kind of open with Miles juggling this huge sense of responsibility he feels to his neighborhood, to his family, um, his, uh, just to give a little bit away at the top, his um, family is watching the news at the beginning of this book when the, the hurricane um, disasters, the Maria that hit Puerto Rico, um, are really re wreaking this incredible, really unparalleled in American history devastation on Puerto Rico. And obviously with um, their attachments as a family to the island, um, they are, are moved and mortified. And so um, Miles' mom, who's just a, an awesome character, I wish they would just do a book about her, what, it, it begins to um, organize, you know, how do we send relief over? How do we use our vast resources here uh, in uh, in the, the, the East Coast in the United States and, you know, send aid down there. And that becomes one of the 
main uh, fulcrum purposes of this story miles trying to fundraise um and so to to, to have the morales family really doing the real heroic stuff that um responds to what's going on in the world and meanwhile of course miles is is fully engaged with the superhero life with all the sort of highs and lows of being a web slinger across new york you know getting all kinds of respect getting also all kinds of disrespect and i just got to say the art in in this book by pablo leon as you can just see in this pages just pops so vibrant with color so dynamic with movement so um clear and legible with storytelling and yet appealing with style paulo leon's got it man and i would just read this stuff for pages and ages and i just think justin reynolds is just got the 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 voices of these characters that we've come to know so spot on the the, the inner tensions and turmoils that miles goes through is it's just so reminiscent to me of the best of what you know brian michael bendis originally wrote with the character of what writers like Salad and Ahmed do with the character when it when Miles is really like singing and and, and, I, and I think there's a lot too that you can find uh, about the depth of Miles Gonki <laughs> his parents that also um resonates with the the Jason Reynolds novel which is pretty fantastic to read I think that these would be nice some nice companion pieces to read this uh, Justin Reynolds and Pablo Leon graphic novel and the Jason Reynolds, Miles Morales, Spider-Man book um, novel. Uh, all in all, I think it's pitch perfect. I think uh, this will make new fans of the character and it'll also make uh, fans of the character just really excited to see this rendition. It doesn't have the kind of dynamic um, and really unexpected twists and turns of plot that you found in something like Into the Spider-Verse. But I would just love to see these creators on another volume of Miles Morales stories. I think in some ways, there's a little bit of, we don't want to take the character too far out plot-wise because we want to establish or re-establish this world with all of its depth, the, the, the traditional Spider-Man uh, inner tensions between responsibility to the world and responsibility to your family and how that pulls you in multiple directions. I think that's not necessarily new. It's just redone in a really fresh way. And so I would love it if we got more Reynolds and Leon on Miles Morales. Um, hopefully this is just the first of many. Check it out. Um, going from this and I should mention uh, published by Scholastic Graphics and Marvel. Uh, we now go to something quite different. Um, Usagi Yojimbo. And Usagi is a character who has, um, oh man, taken central stage on my bookshelf for decades. But we're getting a new version of Usagi here. And you know the classic Usagi Yojimbo, who uh, I first encountered as a young kid watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And all of a sudden there's a, on the cartoon, a crossover with his other character, which wasn't uh, Ninja Turtles, Eastman and Laird creation, but was actually uh, owned by another creator. So interesting to me. I went to the to my library. I found one of those, um, I think it was Fanagraphics collections of Usagi Ojimbo comics, and my mom was blown. I was hooked for life. I loved the way that Stan Sakai has grown this character over decades with new spins every single usagi story just um 
is a moral fable or a, an examination of Japanese mores or I should say Japanese mores or it's it, it, it um, is it's deeply psychological or it's expansion of the characters in the world. And so Usagi, similar to, to Johnny Constantine, but also totally opposite in many ways, has this deep, deep history for comics readers. And what we get now is Stan and uh, his wife, Julie, working together on taking this character in this world and really bringing it down to, I would say, even maybe a, a, a younger reading level. Although, again, it was fun and appealing for me as an adult for my daughter, who um, who in that in this, I think, very superficial reading level classification uh, would be high above this but there's just so much that is uh, sweet and fun about this book that I had a blast reading it and as usual Stan and Julie Sakai are doing something that I think is maybe underappreciated in comicdom which is that Stan Sakai has taken this very complex and rich and deep deep history of Japanese culture of what we commonly think of as samurai stories um, but how that touches on these notions of of honor and obligation and um, like Japanese cultural values of hospitality or loyalty and really taking the stories that make those values real and um, put them into these these tales and then made them accessible for American audiences and you know Sakai's been doing this for again a, a generation but to have it to be available in Chibi Usagi and the attack of the Heebie Chibis is really wonderful um, particularly for an Asian American kid like me I'm, I'm Chinese American and so you know Chinese heritage folks, Japanese heritage folks, there's a, a lot in common and there's also a lot in conflict, but but it, it's so valuable for me to see the kinds of stories and more like sometimes it's really hard to describe, but even the the ways that the folklore works um, that you can't just put it into a, a thesis or a summary statement. You have to really kind of be immersed in these stories and the ways that they turn and the values that they communicate by virtue of being stories. Um, Sakai has always done that and in a way that's so resonant for me and I feel like actually when American readers uh, try manga or, or, or aren't necessarily schooled in anime and the world seems really weird to them, Usagi Yojimbo has always been this great kind of bridge. And I think um, <laughs> in the back of the, this book, there's actually some definitions of what's a chibi, <laughs> which is, of course, a really kind of squished, tiny, cute, out of proportion version of characters that make them ultra, ultra cute. The head is ginormous and can possibly the physics wouldn't work uh, on the, on those tiny bodies and so on. So we have a chibi version, of course, of, of not just Usagi, but also classic companion characters, Tomo and Jen. Um, who've been around the Usagi Yojimbo lore since um, since it's, be it's beginning 25 or 30 years ago or whatever. And their chibi versions of them have this little adventure where they encounter these uh, these little clay uh, characters called the Dogu. You can see them on the cover. Super, super cute. And then there's these monsters and this 
rumors of a mountain of gold. Um, as usual, in Sakai's hands, in Sakai and Sakai's hands, a story unfolds that is not just kind of like um, episodic or maybe pointless feeling. It's very, very like compelling story. And Sakai's always been good at even when you see the 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 plot coming, you're always kind of on the edge of your seat and how it's gonna be executed. And I just loved Chibi Usagi. Uh, I know I sound enthusiastic about all these books. Uh, there's a pile of books over there that I'm uh, not as excited about, so just didn't talk about those. But I just think that as an introduction to some of those purposes that I was saying, where actually for an American reader who maybe intrigued by Asian comics or by manga and anime, but need a little bit more of a bridge. Um, or somebody who just is maybe attracted to the material itself, but it has always just seemed a little mature for them. I think Chibi Usagi is a great gateway. Super cute. And don't let the cuteness make you mistake that the jokes don't land or that it's flimsy and thin. There's, there's a lot to this. That's just like a really good fable you know, accessibly kid-friendly. I think you could hand this to a, a six-year-old. But there's a, you know, there's the profundity that you want as an adult reading this with your kid or with your student or your young charges that feels like it. Uh, it's satisfying for me to read as well. My daughter also really liked it. We read it separately and then talked about it together. So Chibi, Chibi Usagi, Attack of the Hibi Chibis, a phrase that we keep saying, published by IDW, which has been... Um, Sakai's most recent partner um, in publishing Usagi Yojimbo and authored by says on the bottom Julian Stan Sakai they also go by Just Sakai which is of course a combination of their names uh, with a beautiful and 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 charming uh, picture in the back of Julian Stan um, together so fun to imagine this team collaborating to bring Chibi Usagi to life and that brings us to last and certainly not least, the fifth quarter. Um, I think they'd be the fourth quarter. This is the fourth book. I should have inserted another book and made this the fifth book. <laughs> anyway, the fifth quarter is a, a graphic novel, bit of realistic fiction um, from the hand of Mike Dawson. And Mike Dawson is a, um, <laughs> I'm going to make him feel old for saying this. It's been around for a while, long time uh, graphic novel uh comic artists, alternative comic artists. Um, I had a chance to talk to Mike Dawson one time on uh, the Comics Alternative podcast. And and actually, Mike Dawson and, and Zach Soto do their own comics podcast called Process Party, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I think they've taken some breaks, but they, they, they recently reemerged. Um, uh, Mike Dawson has won awards for his graphic novels for his work on the nib um and also the new yorker and slate and uh and so he he isn't or hasn't usually been known for doing comics for kids um but i i remember i got to talk to him about um a book kind of a collection of shorter comics called rules for dating my daughter so there there's definitely a consciousness of what it's like to be a parent and so i think it's super fun that uh dawson whose past comics have pretty much been geared to adults has um probably out of seeing the abundance of 
great comics being made now for kids. And and actually Dawson's, um, I should say, uh, in this book, there's a moment where our main character, uh, Lori, is lying in her bed. She's reading a copy of Raina Telgemeier's Smile. You can see the shout out there. Um, but I, I've heard Dawson talk about what it's been, what a meaningful boon it's been to the circles of cartoonists that Dawson hangs out with that so many of them who are maybe um, under acknowledged or under compensated as artists and authors in the alternative or indie graphic novel scene are now finding that they have not only a market but actually a lot of great stories to tell especially as they think about their nieces or nephews or or their own kids and what kinds of stories they want to tell to them and so I, I there's so much of what I just read as Mike Dawson's um, very like tongue-in-cheek sense of humor but you know if you if you listen to him on his podcast or even read his his past comics uh, for adults you know he, he he's like the those you know the my favorite kinds of sitcoms or, or, or really actually like a, a nice companion that you might have have lunch with just super earnest about the like the the impossibility of raising kids of like how do you balance all the things in the world how do you make sense of this crazy world spiraling toward you know ecological collapse and mis disinformation and all this kind of stuff he's just he's just such a uh keep it real kind of soul uh with you know a kind of ironic wit about it all um Anyway, that just that's channeled here toward, I think, actually just telling a really nice story that's so sensitive to the kinds of feelings that you have when you are a young person growing up. Um, our main character, Lori, uh, as you can tell from the cover, is into basketball. And what I love about this book is it just really drills down into a particular situation that I think a lot of kids face. And I think also no accident that Dawson is is doing this with a character who is who is a girl who is uh, assigned and identified advise herself as a girl because she's definitely living in a world where there are models and opportunities and there is encouragement for her to embrace athleticism and to embrace what this like she kind of she's on the basketball team but she plays uh, as a fifth quarter player and that means of course that after the real game quote unquote is is done then the fifth quarter players who are just kind of in it for fun and 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 this kind of post title nine kind of invite invitation to uh to to anyone who wants to play to really learn and benefit from sport right gets on the court and 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 feels the exhilaration of those moments makes a basket in in, in the first game that we see in this book um, but of course it doesn't really count and she starts to really want it to count and she wants to get better at basketball and the situation that I think is just so real for kids for young people is that um, she's on the team with a friend she's got these other friends she hangs out with at, at school the friendship is super important to her obviously it's part of what's getting her into basketball but she starts to to want to get better and to become um, motivated and focused in the sport 
in a way that is a little bit out of step with her friends and her friends it actually starts to create some distance because she gets a little bit competitive and maybe a little judgmental and and you know her friends are like why are you being so mean about this you're like way too intense about this but for her it's just it's a passion she wants to get better she doesn't just want to dabble and so in a way it forces a little bit of a realignment of her her loyalties with her friends uh, she has to watch and herself and grow through you know how she talks to others about this thing that she's really intensely into and meanwhile her 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 mom and dad who are again just very real and like uh lifelike characters are juggling the two younger siblings who are always on their screens and and um her mom who who develops this uh i won't give it away it's not too much of a surprise but who her mom is just a, actually a great role model of you know responsibility and ambition but the the tension in that where you know mom i, I want you to be here for me but I, also she wants to be a model of not being limited or pinned down by stick maternal responsibilities right it, it just um creates a dynamic that is just very uh, reflective of things that i think families in the u.s go through um and through it all, Lori is a very identifiable character. Her foibles and weaknesses, I can just see so much of myself or my daughter in. Um, and yet the ways that she's driven and the ways that she just really hopes for doing better, you really root for her. And, um, and you know, the story does come to a satisfying complete ending. It does have the, the feeling, the pace, the length of one of these middle grade graphic novels that are out it uh in some ways reminds me of real friends um or best friends uh shannon hale and lewin fam book um a couple of books that's really good um but it also has a little bit of the the stuff that makes sports manga or sports anime like haikyuu really really fun um it's got a little dash of those elements so all those put together um and i got a but fifth quarter on my recommendation list too. Um, great work by Mike Dawson and, the, and, and maybe the best part of it is that this one is confirmed on the last page to be the first of more installments. So I, I, I like Lori, I like this character, I like this family, I'm interested in, in reading more and, I, and I, I love basketball. I love, I love the drills. They, they brought me back to uh, days of youth basketball. So fifth quarter is really great, published by First Second. And, uh, and that wraps it up. And really, I wish I could tell you that one of these four is the best one. I, I think that they would make a set of graphic novels for your fall classroom or for your fall library to add in with all the other things. I know I didn't talk much about the many awesome nonfiction comics or informative comics, um, but that's just more to come on comics, please. So thanks for joining me for um, this run through a few books. I think I'm going to aim to put out one of these every two weeks or so and talk about kids' comics. Uh, we may not talk about four at a time, but um, we just had a backlog of stuff, of good stuff to talk about. Maybe we'll dig deeper just into one title. So thanks for joining me. Um, leave me your feedback, and I'd love to hear what you're reading uh, and maybe how you're using these in your libraries or classrooms or reading them with your kids, and just enjoying them yourselves too. All right, let's keep reading. <laughs>